If you were with us last week, you may remember that I started a new sermon series, and it's entitled, The One, Two, Threes of PBC. Do you get that? I came up with that all by myself. (laughs) So basically, the purpose of the the sermon series is to um, help all of you understand the core beliefs of Prairie Bible Church. Now, there's a, there's a good reason to do that. You should know the core beliefs of Christianity anyway, but specifically the core beliefs of Prairie Bible Church, because on June 9th, as you may have heard, we're going to have a party out at the barn, and on June 9th, what we're going to be doing is we're going to, anybody that feels called to become part of the mission and vision of Prairie Bible Church by becoming a charter member, that's the day we're going to do it. We're going to be baptizing people, receiving new members, and also having a good uh, old-fashioned picnic out at the barn, too. So uh, be paying close attention to the things that we talk about these next few weeks, and um, you'll you'll have a pretty good clue by the time we're done what what we're all about. Um, One of the, the, the fundamental truths that we believe in as Christians, but as, as Prairie Bible Church, we started talking about last week, as you may recall, and that is the concept of the Trinity. Now, what is the Trinity? It is basically the belief that there is one God, right? But that God um, ex- expresses Himself in three primary ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, I read an article uh, a while back that I thought it was pretty interesting. It said that there different people have a tendency to relate to God in different ways. For example, um, when you pray, who do you pray to? Now, obviously, you pray to God, right? But which of the different aspects of God do you naturally pray to? Do you pray to God the Father? Do you pray to Jesus, typically? Or do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Now, the reason why I bring that up is that in this article, they said that people who, um, who come from a more traditional or kind of mainline Um, part of Christianity, like the Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, those kind of folks, they have most, mostly they refer to God or relate to God best as Father. Um, Those that come from a more charismatic or Pentecostal background, they would relate to God best perhaps through the, uh, as Holy Spirit. And those who um, have come from a more evangelical perspective, like, um, like the Baptists or most non-denominational or independent churches, they, re- they relate to God best as Jesus. And this is what I found really interesting. People who come to faith later in life, like I did, those people have a tendency to relate to Jesus, or to, to Jesus more than the other two aspects of God too. So this is what I was wondering as I was thinking about this week. What about all of you? How do you, what is your preferred method? When you pray... Who do you pray to? Just yell it out. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Just yell out whatever your preference is or how you relate to God. Yell it out, okay? Jesus, I heard God. Did I hear anybody say Holy Spirit? Power power of the Holy Spirit. That's good, yeah. As I alluded to a moment ago, um, my preferred um, way of relating to God is through Jesus. I don't know why, but almost every time when I I sit down to pray, I, I... have a conversation with Jesus. And coincidentally, that's what we're going to that's who we're going to dive more deeply into today. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus that we believe in, that we that we worship, that we pray to. 
just exactly who is this Jesus. You may think you already know, but there are things about this Jesus that um, perhaps you don't know, and you need to. So if you're ready, let's dive in. Jesse and I, by the way, did not coordinate this part, but the, the scripture that he started with today, John 1.1, is the foundation of all of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, some people, they might read that passage of Scripture, and they might think, well, does that mean that the Bible is God? Because that's what it seems to be saying, and it is true that the Bible is God's Word, but this passage of Scripture is not saying that the Bible is God. But if it's not saying that, what is it saying? Well, you just have to read just a little bit further down in that same chapter, and you get to verse 14, and you find the answer to that question. For it says in, in John 1.14 that the Word, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Which means, put another way, that the Word became flesh, that the Word became a human being. The Word, who is God, became a human being. And what is the name of that human being? Go ahead and say it. His name is Jesus. Jesus is God. Now, the most famous verse that you all know, I'm sure by heart. This is the one Bill said he knew, the one he knew, all right? Now, this is John 3.16, and I want you all to recite it with me, okay? John 3.16 goes like this. For God, go ahead, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just as Bill said, that is the gospel in one little verse, right? We find in this verse 16 that the purpose of this man Jesus, the purpose of God becoming flesh, was to bring salvation to the world. This is basic stuff. You don't even need to be reminded of this, do you? Yeah, you do. Because there's something about that verse that I'm wondering whether you've really paid much attention to in the past. And it's actually the two verses that come right afterwards. Did you pay attention when the girls were reading it? John 3, 17 and 18. What does that say? Well, let's just rehearse it a little bit. John 3.17 says that, this, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's reaffirming verse 16, right? He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. His purpose is salvation. Verse 18, however, that's the one that we have a tendency not to pay too much attention to, and we should. Verse 18 says, For those that believe, it, there is no condemnation. They are not condemned. But for those who do not believe, they condemn themselves. Whoa. We're going to stop right there for just a second. What this passage, what verse 18 is saying to us is that Jesus came into the world. Jesus wants everybody to be saved. That is good news. Jesus came into the world to bring salvation to everyone. But not everyone is going to be saved. Why? Because Jesus is sending people to hell? No. Jesus, came, Jesus didn't come in to condemn anybody. If anyone 
ends up not being saved, whose fault is it? Theirs. Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. I hear people say, well, the God I know would never send anybody to hell. Well, the God I know wouldn't send anybody to hell either. Because God doesn't do that. Those that believe, there is no, for, there's, for those that believe, there is no condemnation. But for those who don't believe, they condemn themselves. Whew. That's some good stuff right there. Maybe a little disconcerting, but it's good stuff. All that is necessary is to believe, right? Wrong! Did you know that James 2.19 says that even the demons believe and tremble? Did you know that? I I don't think the demons are among those that are going to end up being saved. So apparently there is something else that is required along with belief for us to receive this salvation that Jesus came to offer everybody. And what is that something else? Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe. So you need to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe and you shall be saved. That really is good news. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. That is the purpose for which God became flesh, offering salvation to everyone that would receive it. Now this is where it's going to get a little sticky. Up to this point, y'all probably, oh yeah, that sounds good, I like that. I like the fact that Jesus came offering a way of salvation. That makes, you, that makes me feel good for the world. But, when you listen to what Jesus said about who He is, it can become a little disconcerting, as I said before, because it makes us feel good to believe that Jesus came offering a way of salvation. Because when you, stay, when you say it that way, you think, well, yeah, Jesus is a way of, unto salvation, but um, so is um, being good. That's a way, right? So is um, being a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever other religion you want to stick in there. That's a way, right? Well, not according to Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And he, in um, Acts 4.12 it says, There is no other name under heaven by which one can be saved but through Jesus. That makes a lot of us squirm, doesn't it? There was no equivocation, no politically correct language. He simply says, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Um, I've used this particular illustration I'm about to share with you before, 
but I, I think it bears repeating under the circumstances. Probably one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century was a guy named C.S. Lewis. You ever heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Yeah. C.S. Lewis was uh, a lot of things. He was an author. He was a, he, he was a scientist. He was a, uh, a theologian. But what you may not be aware of was that for a good portion of his life, perhaps most of his life, he was actually an atheist or at, at most an agnostic, meaning if, he be, if there is a God, if he believed that there was a God, which he wasn't sure about, the God that, that he did believe in did not... Um, he basically, that God created the world and then was, was, went off and did something else. In other words, an agnostic believes that if God created the world, he's not involved in our everyday lives. He, he just created it and then left. And that was C.S. Lewis. In fact, one day, he decided he was going to prove to all you naive Christians that that was the case. He was going to disprove uh, what you believe by just simply using logic. So he started, he started gathering all the information that there is to know about um, Christianity and laying it out in front of him. And as he did that, he found that he was believing a lot of this evidence. And that really made him uncomfortable. Because you see, as an agnostic or an atheist, whichever one he happened to be on that particular day, um, he was able to look at things logically and say, okay, well, I can believe that, but I don't have to believe this. For example, he could look at the claim that Jesus was a, a historical human being, that he actually lived and there's actually more evidence, archaeological evidence, that Jesus lived than there is like evidence that Socrates lived or that uh, Caesar Augustus lived. Um, because basically the, the theory is if you, can, if you can find three historical sources that someone, that it, then, it, then it's real, it's actually historical. Well, obviously there's all way more historical source evidence that Jesus existed than there is for almost anybody else in history. So he was willing and able to believe that Jesus was an actual human being. Logically, that made sense. But the more he, he delved into this historical Jesus, the more uncomfortable he became. Because he could believe in the historical Jesus and believe that this historical Jesus was just a good guy, because the evidence supports that truth, right? He could look at the historical Jesus, and he could believe that perhaps this Jesus was a prophet. He could even actually believe that this Jesus was the, the fulfillment of human potential. You ever heard anybody say that? The problem is, when he started looking at the historical source evidence of Jesus himself, what Jesus said about himself, he was found that, that Jesus painted himself in a corner. He found that Jesus, that what he said about himself, didn't allow him or anyone else who was using logic to believe anything but three possibilities about Jesus. Because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. 
And he reads that and he goes, that was a dumb thing to say. Because now, logically, I have to make a really difficult choice. And there's only three of them. I can believe he's a liar, in which case he's probably... I mean, how do you if, you... if someone is a known liar, it's difficult to presume that they're good. You could believe that he's a lunatic. He's crazy. Which would then make you step back and say, well, it's kind of hard to believe that he's a good teacher. I mean, how do you believe anything that the guy says if he's crazy? Or... You can believe he is who he says he is. Those are your only three choices, logically, that you can believe about Jesus. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord. He is who he says he is. Logically, it's hard to allow yourself to consider anything else. So who is this Jesus that we believe in here at Prairie Bible Church? We believe He is who He says He is. We believe He is Lord and Savior of the world. The only way to God. It's as simple and authentic as that. Let's pray.